0: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Backstage Podcast. My guest this week is my very good friend Carlos Godoy. You may remember him from the Car Ride Conversation segment last year, during which we discussed the federal elections in Canada. On this episode, we discuss about the coronavirus that has affected millions of people around the world. As a communications and public and government relations expert, I thought it might be interesting to have his take on the political and social leadership that we're all witnessing during these trying times, the impacts of this pandemic, how government must prepare for the post-pandemic period, and how, if at all, will this change the way we live going forward. I hope you enjoy this conversation.
1: I'm speaking to you from Quebec City, as a matter of fact.
0: Yeah, what are you doing up there, man? Is that where you're confined? Yes, that's where I've decided to isolate myself. I thought that there was, you know, less, less risks of temptation <laughs> Yeah. here. Um, you happened to be there when all this thing happened, or you decided to physically just go to Quebec and stay there?
1: So the week of the Quebec budget,
0: uh, which was Tuesday on March the 10th, yeah.
1: I'd gotten here the weekend before. For personal reasons, I'm dating a guy that lives here. Yeah, and uh, I went to the to, to the lockup uh, in during the day of the Tuesday the tenth. I went to the to the cocktail at night. I mean, I was at arms length with the Minister of Finance, the Premier, you know, every lobbyist, every, yeah. tons of M and As. And then on Wednesday, I flew to Ottawa. I had meetings there on Thursday, and by then the crisis was. I we all knew that the, coming. Yeah, crisis was coming. At the House of Commons, MPs were shaking hands and were like, you "Guys, want to shake hands? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to shake hands." And that was kind of odd. And then on the Friday, the guy that I'm dating started wasn't feeling well. He works in the healthcare uh, sector. He was sent home. And so I decided that if I was sick as well, if he was sick and I was sick, might as well isolate together. Yeah. And so I just came back to Quebec City. We were tested. We tested negatives. So we were fine. That's good. But that was my reflex. And I've decided to stay put ever since.
0: Awesome. Um, let me just make sure we're recording. Yeah, it's recording. It's, telling yeah, it's me recording. Recording. Um. No, man, honestly, when I when I saw the post, um, w- you know, when I saw the post that you made uh, about uh, not feeling well and testing and, you know, obviously human nature uh, makes it that you stop reading after the first line, I was like, ah, oh, shit, you know, I, I, and then I kept reading. I'm like, okay, thank God, you know what I mean? He, he's okay. Um, it, it's just crazy, you know, the amount of people that you know and everything that you hear and, you know, all these thoughts and ideas that run through your head about, you know, just. Pretty much everybody, your family, uh, your friends, uh, you know, your significant other, and you're thinking, "God damn, man, is this ever, you know, going to reach me? You know, is is this going to affect me in any way possible?" You know,
1: death and illness uh, are both something that's going to affect us all at some point in our lives, yeah. and or sooner or later. Uh, the reality of 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 this crisis, though, the, the reason why this crisis feels like none other is because there hasn't been a, a you know, uh, an event horizon, right? There, has, it, A bomb was not detonated. A plane did not crash. There was no earthquake. Uh, there was no tsunami. It is a crisis that is slowly creeping upon us. Yeah. And we've known it for months now that yeah. uh, uh, something was rotten uh, in the state of Denmark and China. We've known it for months, but you know, we've, didn't really see it, you know. The people dying abroad in another country didn't really impact us. And when people started getting sick here, it's still again, you know, bodies aren't lining the streets. Yeah, uh, we're not seeing an, an overflow of the sick people, uh, in streets or, or overflowing out of hospitals. We're still not seeing that. And I'm, and I don't know if we will see it. And so that's why the, the notion that we are living in a crisis is very, very extraneous, very foreign to us. And it's also again, still. Almost unbelievable. What's starting to make it believable is that we're seeing lines at Costco's with people standing uh, two meters away from each other yeah, in lineup. I mean, yeah. We're seeing uh, police roadblocks. Uh, we're seeing, uh, you know, uh, new in- opening instructions for you know essential services such as the SAQ, for example. Uh, essential are,
0: service. <laughs>
1: the well, um, if the state's going to sell it, they better make sure that it's available.
0: <laughs> Goddamn right, yeah.
1: <laughs> and so, uh, and also, we are we're getting you know this daily briefing by you know the, the by the head of our government. The, yeah. The prime minister and the premier, in our case.
0: Oh no! It's and- it, it, there's this, there's this ever presence um, with everything going on that kind of makes you feel. That you're living through a crisis, right? It's not like, yeah, you know, it's very doubtful to me that there are people out there that are oblivious to what's going on. I mean, unless they live under a rock, they understand the severity of the, of of the issue. Um, but but I'm not sure if everyone
1: understands the severity of the issue. You know, yeah. seeing is believing, and yeah. while we are seeing things on television, sometimes television isn't television. Sometimes yeah. it's TV reality, yeah. it's fiction, and so I think that people are still. Uh, maybe asepticized to the fact that a real crisis is really, really happening. And again, we are at you know, a relatively little, limited amount of deaths. Yeah. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I, while I'm saying this uh, very respectfully, mm. uh, we're not, nowhere near the, the hundreds or thousands of deaths that the European countries or Asian countries have lived that maybe African countries will live because the crisis is only at, the, uh, a, a, at its beginning stages over there. So that's why, again, we are in Quebec, are living, you know, some sort of a crisis light Set of circumstances because we've been extremely proactive. We are obedient. We are following instructions mostly, and uh, and we and we listen to to our leaders that we've elected. And you know, Francois Legault has never had higher uh, approval ratings, and no other Quebec Premier in the uh, in the history of Quebec has ever had higher approval ratings. Why? Because he's calm, cool, he's collected, he's serious. Uh, he gives us. He gives it to us the way it is, and of course, uh, there's some. He's ma- he manages us to some degree as well, yeah. in the interest of not having population panic, in the interest of you know having an orderly slowdown or shutdown of the economy, and having an orderly um, picking up of supplies, and then going back home to, to self isolate. But the reality is that. These are exceptional circumstances that we've never lived before. I mean, the war time wasn't like that. Uh, Spanish influenza wasn't like that either. This is really, really completely abnormal. First time that we lived
0: this. Yeah. Do you think that uh, we were well prepared over here? I mean, you mentioned before that you know we saw these things happening. You know, the, the 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 this death toll started rising in China, like in January, right? I mean, we were all well aware of what was going on over there. Um, maybe we were. Um, you know, maybe I don't want to say oblivious, but you know, maybe we didn't want to alarm the population. But once it came knocking, it it, it came knocking fast. You know what I mean? Do you think that even though nobody 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 sounded the alarm until mid March, like mid to late March, do you think behind the scenes they were seeing what was happening and they were taking measures to prepare in case something were to happen?
1: I think that it was impossible to prepare for this because who would have guessed, really sincerely, who would have guessed, who would have thought that a crisis of this amplitude would would befall upon us? Mm -hmm. Again, I'm I'm going back to my original statement. It's not a meteorite, an asteroid falling upon Earth. It's not a tsunami. It's not an earthquake. It's not a terrorist attack. It's not a plane crash. These are... Absolutely, it's a slow-moving, slow-paced menace and threat that is coming upon us. And while we saw it coming, we had a hard time to grasp and to conceptualize that this would actually really, really be happening. And so given the context that this is a, an absolute first, of course, we weren't prepared or sufficiently prepared. That doesn't mean that, of course, that authorities don't normally prepare plans A, B and C and an exit strategy. But at the same time, we look at the US, you know, the greatest democracy in the world, you know, the best country in the world, the most equipped, the more, the, the, the best army, the best scientists, the, all of the money in the world couldn't prepare them to be able to face this
0: crisis, which is going to be far greater there than it is here. But, then, and, uh, you know, even, even if you try to be as objective as you can without being too political, you know, I mean, you can't ignore the science. I mean, this situation was uh, downplayed so much. In fact, even now, it's still... Uh, you know you know certain officials still act like it's no big deal like don't worry it's gonna go and away I,
1: and and I saw and it and again you know um even here uh, in, in Canada in Quebec in the greater Montreal region where you are or in the greater Quebec city region where I am presently tonight we know that people aren't abiding by the instructions of, uh, given to us by public health people don't believe that they can get sick people don't believe
0: that they can die yeah but Carlos is in 19 it's very and- th- it's very different when you have people that decide not to obey to a certain extent, and when you have mixed messages coming from your government authorities or government or health. But, but,
1: authorities. but you know, but it's government by the people for the people, and so therefore, I mean, the, you could be president of the United States tomorrow morning, and you, if you don't believe that this is a real uh, threat to uh, the Americans' uh, uh, way of life. At the end of the day, you're an American yourself, and, and so that's why you know I think that um, we need to take it. Uh, we need to take those things with a grain of salt. Yeah. Uh, to answer your question, were we prepared? No, but we could have never been prepared. Who knew that we should have closed our borders completely, sealed them tight? Uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, yeah. what did we do with the with the what, over one million Canadian citizens? that are abroad at that time and that want to come back. How do we let them come back? Should we send them off to some isolated place and let them quarantine there for 14 days? How are we going to operationalize that? What are we doing with our borders? What are we doing with enforcing curfews and people going home? Those are all questions that we as Canadians have never, ever thought about. Yeah. Uh, I, I, maybe in October 1970, in, in Quebec, in certain parts of Quebec, Quebecers, older Quebecers, remember what it was to have a curfew and have the army in the streets because of a domestic terrorism crisis. Yeah. But apart from that, no one has ever lived any of this before. And so we're truly making up rules and policies yeah, as, we as we're going. And we're also, ourselves as citizens, as taxpayers, as people that live in these communities, we're also, as we are going, as this story unfolds, we are adapting and understanding and reacting positively or negatively to the situation. The concept of having to stay home, not going to the office, not engaging in my normal social activities, uh, not being able to go to a restaurant or not being able to decide, okay, tonight, this is what I want to eat. I'm going to go and buy it at the grocery store. I'm going to come back home and I'm going to make it. That's part of the daily lives of many a Canadian. And today we can't do that anymore. And that is a shock. And of course, it sounds a little bit privileged the way that I'm describing it. But all of this is a shock. It's a shock to children that can go to school and that want to go to school. It's a shock to parents that want to work and that are told by their factory um, general manager or their union president, no, we're not, we've are not. we not been designated as an essential business service. And we all need to go home and go be put on on." on on uh, unemployment for many and we don't know more importantly we don't know when this is going to end and we don't know when we're going to be able to go back to work when we're going to be able to go back to school or when we're going to face uh, start living a uh, you know a semblance of normality all these uncertainties are creating a very very high level of stress for people and and we're all adapting to it at the same time as governments are adapting to the situation.
0: It's interesting what you're saying, because I think in terms of preparedness, Quebec has had to deal in the past with different natural disasters, right? That had caused some sort of political and social crisis. And I think on, you know, in that respect, I think, you know, we were, you know, quote unquote, ready for whatever may occur, right? I mean, you've been through it in the past. Uh, You've gone through those mistakes. You've learned, you know, how to prepare uh, and how to be um how to uh, uh you know how to um uh, accept that kind of challenge how to react how to deal exactly. how to remind prices right but something like this that has to deal with you know your your population's health you know the urgency um is something like next level and it's it, it, I'm, i agree with you with what you're saying i mean it has caused yes distress but also a lot of you know unforeseen elements in everyone's uh daily lives you know
1: you know you know we've Quebec has had many an incident and a crisis and a catastrophe in the past say 30 years to the Lac Megantic disastrous train wreck to the historical floods in the Saguenay to the regular floods that we have uh, in, in Quebec uh, on the south shore uh, along the the, the river ways. We, civil uh, defense, uh, the provincial police, uh, the hospitals, the government usually are quick to react. Forest fires, name. It. you know, we we, we live through these, but you know, you know, again, they all have a common uh, denominator: is that they have uh, uh, an event horizon. Something yeah. happens. There's uh, an element déclencheur and it yeah. happens, and then it defines. This was the beginning of the crisis and we are managing the end of the crisis. We're putting out the fire Uh, or, you know, we are containing the floods. Those are normal reactions that we are used to uh, performing. We're used to managing that now we are dealing with an invisible, uh, invisible, uh, smellless, a tasteless enemy who's mortal who can be anywhere around you on a surface at uh, the door of a, of, a, of a store that you walk into, on a banister in a bus that you're holding on to, to the person that you're talking to can be carrying it and not being symptomatic. Again, yeah. this is science fiction. Yeah. You know, this is stuff of, you know, to, uh, the, the, the Jetsons. And this is stuff that we see in science fiction movies. Who knew that really something like this would happen to us? And, you know, Ebola that we know about and hemorrhagic fever are all African diseases that we only hear uh, in movies with Dustin Hoffman that, you know, are contained by the army. Again, this is all 100% science fiction, things that we've seen but that we've never really believed. Now the reality is that, you know, fiction has become Reality and that also takes you know a a, a huge uh, step uh, of adaptation. The learning curve is, is tremendous. And again, since we are fighting an invisible enemy, of course, the level of stress from ind- for in- individuals and in the population is skyrocketing. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, in a classic war context or in, in a forest fire, we know who the enemy is. The enemy is you know the guys across the the border, or you know the enemy. the The threat is the forest fire. That's we you know. Don't go to the forest fire. It's clear. It's obvious. It's learned behaviors. Now we're finding something that you know I could be sick right now, and apparently the way this disease works is you can be sick for two weeks and be asymptom- yeah. asymptomatic, asymptomatic, yeah. and then you become sick, but you've been giving it to everyone else. Yeah, during that the past time. two weeks before. Yeah. How crazy is that?
0: Yeah, yeah. Do you think that because Canada has this? Um, You know, this security, this social blanket, these programs, this infrastructure that's already in place um, to take care of, you know, numerous welfare uh, situations. Do you think that having all that in place already gave our government and the provinces kind of an edge, kind of a a head start over any other country uh, all over the world where they have to kind of sit down and think of implementing measures that already sort of exist over here? Yes, of course, I think it gives us a strategic advantage. At the same
1: time, you know, there's going to be the the well of money is going to dry up at some point. Yeah. You know, we don't have an infinite amount of money. And while we have the fortitude of having uh, systems through which to funnel money to those that need it. And I mean, today, uh, the those that need it are those that have lost their jobs, those that are, aren't able to, to work. They are those who are taking uh, business risks and have bet everything that they own to uh, create a, an entrepreneurial project and employ people and create wealth in their communities. Uh, it's people that are sick, uh, it's people that could be sick uh, and that are quarantined or uh, or forcibly isolated at home. Um, as of the elderly, uh, everyone else. And so the amount of people that are requiring help is tremendous. And of course we have those channels right now, the uh, wage, uh, which the, with the emergency um, uh, benefit plan, um, and the name escapes me, of course, um, uh, it will afford Canadians to be able, uh, you know, the sustenance to be able to survive the next couple of months. And that is a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal opportunity for Canadians to be able to put Uh, bread and butter on their tables. At the same time, I think that with this wage subsidy that the government has uh, has, uh, enacted recently, the idea is for companies to retain their employees for as long as possible by subsidizing 75% of their salary. And in those cases where they can supplement the 25 additional percent to complete the 100% of their salaries, then that's what the government is encouraging people to do. And so fundamentally what they're saying is that it doesn't matter if your employees are home playing Nintendo and keeping safe for their families. What matters is that they keep their employment link with their employer, with their company, there where they work with their job so that they keep the confidence that when this crisis is over, they will have a job to go back to. When the economy kicks back again, they'll go back to doing something because they have this link with their employer. It also gives a lot of confidence to those people to say, yeah, you know what? I didn't lose my job. While I'm home, I'm not working. I'm still getting paid. When the economy comes back around, I'll go back to my hotel, my restaurant, my factory, and we're gonna we're gonna make Canada great again. So that is an incredibly strong signal. Unfortunately, I think that this program was uh, was put together a little bit on the late. It was a slow beginnings, yeah. And it's quite understandable because again, I, the feds, the provinces are creating help and assistance programs for individuals and for companies and businesses and organizations, you know, uh, on the fly, written on the on a napkin on the. Corner of a table, uh, and so so while this wage subsidy program may be a little bit on the late because I think a lot of people have gotten laid off by companies who feared that you know they wouldn't be able to provide for their employees. Now is the time to rehire those employees and put them on this program. It's up to $57,000, if I'm not mistaken, wage subsidy per per year per employee. Uh, And that can last for several months. And again, this government is reevaluating the situation as it goes. We all knew when Francois Rago said that on April 13th, we'll all be back at work and business
0: as usual we all knew that that, yeah. that was impossible but yeah. we hoped it would be it's, now also we're, it's also impossible the new date that was established right the 4th of may i um, think
1: it's i'm you know it, i'm not sure if it's impossible but i think i'm quite sure that it's very unlikely though yeah
0: yeah yeah yeah. but i mean look look in terms of you know the, the leadership that you've seen i think you know are and even across canada and you know everybody everybody has kind of elevated you know, the Quebec premier and rightfully so, because I think he's doing a fantastic job, but in general across Canada, I mean, they have stepped up to the plate and uh, I, I think they're on the ball. Uh, I agree with you that like, at a federal level, they were a little bit, you know, it took a little bit of time, you know, to start to get that ball rolling. I don't know, I don't know why, but it felt as though, um, you know, the the, the provincial premiers were already uh, kind of taking measures and they wanted uh, to move on issues that of course weren't in their jurisdiction and they were expecting the federal government to move on them and you know that took a while um, I get it I mean it's a much bigger jurisdiction I mean you know closing off your borders to the US I mean you can't just snap your fingers and get it done right uh, you know the international flights coming in that too, like I mean they have to manage issues that are, the, that, are that are huge right um, absolutely
1: they have to manage you know uh, the greater perspective of the economy the greater perspective of our essential relationship with the united states of america
0: yeah.
1: the fact that we had over a million canadians abroad that were seeking to be patriated uh brought back on an emergency flight or were trying to make their way back home uh trying to send signal so the signals to the provinces that you know they get to do their thing because health is a provincial matter mostly um and so yeah so i think that you know the the federal government uh, had a lot of on its plate Also, the prime minister had to isolate himself. And so I think that, you know, while that wasn't debilitating, you know, there's, you, you know, uh, a maestro can direct the orchestra on Zoom like this, but it's nothing like being there with the orchestra at the same time. And so I think that there were a couple of of circumstances that by virtue of being the federal government, they had to deal with, and it's not their fault. But at the same time, they couldn't have expected this. And I think that the reactions that they had, even though they were perhaps... They perhaps appear to be a little slow. Were the right ones. We couldn't shut off our relationship with the Americans, uh, you know, overnight, uh, because we have to think of, of the long term. At the same time, you know, disbursing the amounts of billions of dollars that the federal government is going to be disbursing for companies for this wage subsidy and for this emergency pro- help program, the Canadians is going to cost billions of dollars as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I'm pretty sure the Minister of Finance didn't have that change in his pocket, so you know, arrangements needed to be made to make sure that this money is available. And then, how do we how do we push it out to people? Do we send them checks how do we evaluate who gets it who doesn't get it up to what level again these are incredibly complicated and complex issues I've in my job I've I've been working pretty much every seven days a week in the past two weeks two three weeks with clients and stakeholders and I've spoken to people I was gonna actually actually ask you about that you're still uh, you're still on you're still working Yes I'm I'm still working in my company where we're very fortunate to to still be working all of us and uh, we are helping our our clients um who are um, uh, associations of very large sectors of Canada's economy dealing with, you know, will will, will they be uh, supported by the by the government, by the provinces, by the federal government? Should they be sending the employees at home for how long? Um, you know, all these questions are being looked at on a day to day basis. And I myself uh, personally have spoken to very high level officials throughout the weekend on all sorts of issues. I know that. They're working very, very hard, and it appears. I know it's easy to think that no one's doing anything, but these guys are, and these girls are working very, very long hours. Are have you know have the weight of Canada's economy and the weight of uh, the well-being of Canadians on their shoulders day in and day out. So they're working very, very hard to make sure that things happen for them. But again, moving, you know, turning around the Canadian government is not something that happens on a 10 cent. Mm-hmm. It's like turning around a um, a huge cruise ship. And so uh, arrangements need to be made and a little, sometimes it takes a little time.
0: But even if you bring it, you know, to a lower level, I mean, even if you, you know, you put aside the high level officials for a second there that, you know, like, you know, they're in, in cabinets at the PMO, you know, these guys are working around the clock. But even if you look at just, you know, members of parliament or members of the National Assembly at a local level. Um, you know, I've spoken to a few and I, I follow a few of them on social media. There's a lot of these people that are that, that are dealing with, you know, the different community organizations, the different leaders in their respective writings. Uh, you know, the phones are ringing off the hook. People are calling their local MP or their local MNA to find out exactly what resources they have. So, uh, you know, like you said, it may appear as nothing is happening, but there's a lot of people working a lot of hours. <laughs> You know, the, the you and I have
1: both worked for members of the National Assembly, and we know that very often the work that happens in the constituency offices, often uh, you know, is done in the shadows. You know, there's no great prestige associated to it. No one ever talks about it. No, no one really sees it. All we see is the the elected officials voting in the House of Commons or in the National Assembly. And that being said, we know that the constituency staff is the first point of contact for community organizations, the vulnerable. Uh, local leaders as well, whether they be uh, from the municipality, from from the schools, the community organizations. And so that information needs to flow. And I'm quite convinced that every the, phone num- uh, the phones of every member of the National Assembly and every member of parliament is ringing pretty much all the time. People are asking for questions. People are, again, the level of stress is extremely high. People don't only want to read something on a website or in the newspaper. They want to connect with someone. And when they call a 1-800 number or a 1-877 number, they don't always get to speak to someone quickly and so where do they turn they turn to their local elected officials and so I know that these folks are getting lots and lots of calls and they have to know what to answer they need to be able to direct the citizens and taxpayers and 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 voters to the right resource try to help them out of course in some constituencies in Montreal particularly as you and I know far better than anyone else you know sometimes there are lots of cultural challenges and language barriers they
0: don't understand
1: yeah Right, so I know that some a lot of uh, the Quebec ads have been translated in in an incredible amount of of languages. But again, you need to go to explain sometimes to people, especially older people, you know, why is it important that they stay home and you have to explain to them in their language? And a lot of these people, sometimes, and young and old, especially the new Quebecers, sometimes, you know, they live with some. they come with some trauma of living a similar crisis situation back in their country, in, in a war-torn country or in a war zone or in, a, in a, or in an armed conflict, whether it be in domestic or international. So you have to explain that, you know, this is not a war. We are not at war, but we are uh, self-isolating for everyone's benefit and for everyone's health. So these things take some time in explaining. And I know that the people, uh, the, the elected officials, the, the MNAs, the MPs and their staff, that's what they're doing.
0: And they definitely get my thank yous. Let, let me, uh, let me talk to the PR professional for a second there. Let's just, uh, look at, I'm looking, I'm looking for, <laughs> where is he? Uh, just, you know, some key things there. Cause you know, I, I, I watch what's going on. I follow what's going on and you know that behind all this, uh, I don't want to call it a show, but you know this preparedness. You know what I mean. All this, there's so many factors to take in, right? I mean, it's not only the prime minister sitting down and saying, "Okay, what's the problem? What's the solution?" Uh, how do we communicate it? There's so many other different factors that need to take into consideration because at the end of the day, you're dealing with humans, right? I mean, the way you deliver the message, the way you look, the way you sound, uh, the way that you prepare, um, the consistency in your message. So this is th- th- these are things that we're seeing on a daily basis. Um, just in terms of leadership, though, uh, how do you see it from your perspective? Um, you know, both provincially and federally. Um, you know, you know, what do you think it Takes in a leader to, con- to 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 confront this kind of crisis, but also to confront the population. Like, what are we what are we expecting from you know the leaders in these days? We're expecting confidence. We're expecting the appearance of transparency
1: and honesty. We're uh, expecting a firm grasp of of the situation, of the ins and outs of it, and a firm grasp on everything that goes on. In the name of this government. And so the reason why we are, for example, comparing François Legault to Justin Trudeau and saying that François Legault has been the clear winner of uh, this leadership uh, contest, if it, if it was one, is by virtue of the fact that François Legault is there in present since day one, uh, manages a much smaller state than the the federal prime minister. Uh, You know, the room where he gives his press conferences at the National Assembly with a black backdrop and the flags, you know, has a lot of gravitas, uh, you know, inspires a lot of respect. So I think there's a lot of uh, logistical sense of circumstances that give François Legault the upper hand in sending the signals that he is completely in charge, that he has both hands on the steering wheel. Opposite that, uh, the federal government uh, uh, has had its challenges, as I said earlier, Justin Trudeau had to isolate, uh, had to give the press conferences from uh, his doorstep at home, uh, away from his ministers, and then deputized to his deputy prime minister the responsibility of a second press conference. And so that those... Those mechanisms have created um, a sense of maybe uh, of, of less of a unified response. Um, I think that you know they've they've uh, uh, they've made the situation better ever since, um, and I think that you know the rest of the federal team is doing a great job with Christian Freeland and everyone else, and especially the folks at the uh, the public health agency as well. I think they're very very good. But again, you know, we in Quebec uh, and in provinces, provinces uh, are the Deliver uh, services to their citizens in a far closer fashion and uh, and manner than the federal government does. So I think even now with Rob Ford who has been speaking from the heart to Ontarians really sincerely, I, I think that you know there's not one uh, commentator in Canada that doesn't believe that Rob, this is Rob Ford's moment. That Rob Ford, you know, uh, woke up one morning as you know a very very despised premier. By Ontarians and by Canadians in general, and sincerely is becoming, you know, uh, and you know, a, a hero of the COVID nineteen crisis by his. Uh, quiet, steadfast, solid leadership. Uh, Francois Legault and, and, and Rob Ford are definitely on, on the same page, on the same level on this. They're, they're delivering, you know, quality leadership to, to their citizens in a crisis that is not obvious, that is not, again, that is not a, a natural catastrophe that we can see, understand, absorb, process, and then move on. We're dealing with a crisis that is invisible, that doesn't have any smell, we can't touch it, Uh And then when we get sick and I don't, I haven't seen anyone sick, um, but I have gotten tested. And I think that when I did go get my test, Uh, I saw that the measures that were put in place were extremely, extremely serious. So that also gave me the notion that, yes, this must be a real crisis if the people from public health are acting like this and protecting themselves and protecting everyone around them. Um, Again, in this context, in the context of a crisis that we have not really seen, we can't really see it, I think that this type of leadership is extremely important, but the feds are doing far better now.
0: Yeah. No, no, I agree with you. And, uh, you know, in in the beginning, it, it felt, look, l- let's be honest here. I mean, Francois Legault in Quebec has been on this, you know, he's been riding the wave ever since they've been elected. I mean, he's still in his honeymoon period and it doesn't seem to, to, to waver. And of course, at a situation where you're dealing with a crisis of this magnitude, if you're doing it right, there's no question about You know, continuing to kind of surf that wave, right? And I remember in the beginning, the first maybe week, week and a half, we we kept getting you know know, this message from a premier logo, and then you know you were comparing it to what was coming out of Ottawa, and we were thinking, God damn it, man, just do it, you know, just. You know, and I remember, I remember Premier Legault hammering the fact that they needed to close the border, that they needed to control the airports. Like there was all these messages that he kept uh, throwing at the federal government, and for for a second, there I thought this is going to become like a conflict between the provinces and Ottawa if they don't get their shit together you know
1: what but, I mean? there are, but there are always conflicts between provinces and the federal government that's not new and it's this is, this is
0: not the first issue and it's oh, not you, de- de- you be- definitely you. don't need a conflict you don't you don't need that sort of conflict at a time of a crisis right you need you know
1: to- at, the, at the same time at, you know every and right, I'm not making myself the I'm not going to apologize for the feds but the reality is that you know the, the federal government, the provincial governments have their own sets of responsibilities, yeah. and while you know Ottawa may think that Quebec or, or Queen's Park should be doing something differently, it's not up to them, right? It's up to the provinces and vice versa. But like I said, the feds were a little slow. I agree completely and wholeheartedly on that. Yeah. I would have done things differently. So, so would you. So would you. But. We are not an isolated island. We are uh, interdependent of our relationship with our biggest neighbor. You know, when the Americans sneeze, we get a cold. And so uh, with a very, very um, taciturn president, And so we have to be extremely careful with that. And I thought that, you know, the the delicate way, the delicate manner in which uh, this diplomatic issue was handled was Uh, incredibly uh, well done. I don't think that anyone else could have done it better. Um, Not Stephen Harper or Jean Kinsey or Paul Martin. I think that really, essentially, the the relationship with the Americans right now is being handled on point. But we are interdependent on that. And again, how do we close the airports? How do we close the borders? What do we do with the million Canadians that are maybe sick, maybe not? Who knows? What do we do with them? Do we let them in? Do we not let them in? Is it not their is it not their constitutional right to be able to come back to Canada when they're holding a Canadian passport? What do you do with them? And so all these questions are extremely, extremely complex. I'm happy I didn't have to deal with them, but I knew, do know a lot of the people that have. A lot of friends have written to me, my parents are stuck in, on this trip or abroad. They're not being, the embassy is not answering them. You know, sincerely, you know how many times I got those calls? I'm pretty sure you got those calls as well. Yeah. Or, you know, oh, hi, you know, I have some masks that, you know, I'm trying to get into the country. Uh, I know you got those calls. I also got those calls. I got some this morning. And it's another set of complicated uh, issues that I'm trying to help a, a friend navigate. So there's all these extremely, extremely complex sets of circumstances that governments are handling plus in quebec right now they're handling with trying to keep people at home trying to keep the people in hospitals uh well equipped uh you know the the logistical and supply chain challenges that are coming from this are out of this world I, I imagine since you like who could have been prepared for this and Jean, François Legault's talking about That This may be the end of globalization. As we know, it's simply because people are going to want to travel less, less risk if you travel less. People are going to want to um, supply themselves locally more than internationally. Um, I think that certainly there's going to be some sort of a, uh, a return to a more of a local approach to doing commerce, uh, I think that, you know, that, that so many sectors of, 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 of Canadian commercial and economic activity are gonna be affected by all of this. I'm thinking about, you know, the retail industry, which already had been living through uh, very serious transformations is going to face even greater transformations now. i mean, you know, uh, store storefronts are going to become, uh, you know, a far more complicated uh, thing to deploy. I'm thinking about, you know, transportation. I'm thinking about the hotel industry, restaurants. Um, when when will this crisis end? No one knows. When will we be able to go back to have dinner at a restaurant? No one knows. When we do, though. Are you going to want to go with your wife and your children in a a crowded restaurant, not knowing, is anyone still sick here? Is anyone not still sick here? Are you not going to be affected and traumatized by
0: this whole experience of the COVID-19
1: crisis that we live in
0: 2020? I I read something on Twitter that made me laugh. And I mean, it's not, it it shouldn't be funny, but it was because, you know, and this was like weeks, weeks ago, like when this thing first started. And I can't remember who it was, but, you know, they wrote on Twitter, you know, coughing in public has replaced the N word. (laughs) oh god
1: that is absolutely awful that's awful but it's so true
0: i laughed so hard because it's true you go outside and you sneeze because you just happen to sneeze or you cough because you know you swallowed you know the wrong way i don't know and people are just looking at you like you're the devil right uh but i i honestly think that there's going to be an impact uh, you know going forward like you know the post covid 19 you know how is this going to Change our lives, you know, and how is it going to impact um you know what impact is it going to have in our everyday affairs? I mean you know just before we went you know we went live, we were talking about how just technology has replaced everything everything has everyone has had to sort of adapt the way they had to they have to work, especially the ones that do work or either from home or from wherever they are. you know people have had to take these measures that they never even imagined before.
1: You know, we've all discovered that, you know, uh, lots of meetings could have been easily solved by an email, right? Yeah. Or by a phone call. And so that's obviously one of the first observations. But again, you know, we're not talking on Zoom. A lot of Skype calls and FaceTime calls are happening at the same time. And so I think that we're seeing that, you know, seeing each other in person is not as, as efficient as, as we often think in spite of the fact that we're discovering more than ever that we are social animals. I mean, I think a lot of the anxiety that we are living or we're, we're experiencing is from being cut off from others which is harder for some than 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 others uh, quite unfortunately we're also uh, uh, you know uh, well, I I'm, I'm thinking a lot about the, the travel industry how the travel industry is going to be affected by this i mean uh, who's going to want to travel to another country who's going to want to take a plane i mean all these questions all, all these things are seriously going to be affected uh, you know the you know we all know that companies and organizations have huge overheads Uh, In um, offices and towers and plants and facilities, you know, it's a lot easier, a lot much more cost effective, and much safer to keep employees working from home, send them the right equipment, um, and then they can work from home. And you know, you can still connect as easily and as clearly as we are now. What I have observed though is that. And on the onset of the crisis, when everyone was switching to telephone conferences, the telephone conferences lines were were jammed. You know, at ten a.m. and nine a.m. and nine thirty, everything was always jammed. It was impossible to get a line. So we, we in turn, I'm sorry, I'm getting emails. It's nine forty-six p.m. and I'm getting emails still for work. Um, and so we, I would tell my 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 colleagues and my clients, you know, let's book an odd time where no one's going to want to connect, like nine seventeen. Morning. Oh, no. yeah, like at nine seventeen a.m., no one's going to be connecting. People are connecting at a nine or at nine thirty, and so um, so we have to adapt, and you have to be uh, you have to be
0: uh, nimble, and you have to be fast, and you have to be able to react quickly. So how do you how do you think, mm-hmm. um, you know, how do we prepare for what's coming? I mean, especially for the governments, you know, how do they deal with whatever repercussions might come out of this situation? Um, you know whether it's socially whether it's you know at a community level uh, even politically and economically. I mean, like, like we just said, there's going to be enormous impacts. Uh, you know, the billions of dollars that are going to be injected in social programs now, I mean, someone's going to have to pay for them, right? I mean, that's con- that's going to affect uh, a lot of the budgeting questions that the governments are going to have to deal with. Um, like you said, the industries that have taken a hit, are they ever going to come back to normalcy? Are they going to have to indefinitely... Uh, Uh, adapt and change. Uh, What do you think is on the horizon? Well, you know, if you can't find a solution to a problem, throw money at it.
1: And, you know, our our descendants are going to be paying uh, in perpetuity for the for the repercussions the financial repercussions for individuals and, and communities and companies that this crisis has, has, uh, has given us and so the billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars that are being put in the pot on the table to, to feed Canadians and make sure that you know uh, societies keep operating and companies can have a semblance of an opportunity to restart someone's gonna have to pay for that it's gonna be your children and their children and so on and so on. But that's the cost of doing business. There's nothing to be able to be done about that. As for companies, um, I think that we're going to look back at a lot of things again. Um, uh, I think there's going to be a, a strong desire to buy more locally sourced products that they may be more a little bit more expensive, but I think that there's seriously going to be uh, a desire for that because it's less risk, right? It's less risk for getting your N95 uh, protection mask from Trois-Rivières and getting them from, you know, uh, from Seoul, uh, South Korea, right? And so uh, that is certainly going to affect a lot of things. Plus, uh, I think that, you know, some companies aren't, aren't going to make it. At the end of the day, you know, some in the manufacturing, the service industry, uh, in the hospitality, restaurants, uh, some companies aren't going to be able to make it because, you know, their financial footing before the crisis wasn't sufficiently solid for them to be, be able to, you know, to weather the crisis and and get back on their feet and continue doing business.
0: But it's not only that, Carlos, I think it's also the, the issue of, you know, retrofitting everything to please like a more locally buying uh, industry when manufacturing costs are obviously higher than, than they are elsewhere, which is exactly what we've been living for decades now, you know, it's easy to say that, you know, we're going to put up a platform, call it Le Panier Bleu, like Quebec has done, and it's honorable that they're doing that. But at the end of the day, when the costs are cheaper elsewhere, how are you going to meet those expectations locally? George? We
1: are going to be facing a very serious, you know, a, a sub crisis out of all of this very shortly when the when the summer hits. We're going to need some some uh, agri food workers to go out in the fields to pick the strawberries and the potatoes and like the corn and the apples. And normally uh, Quebecers don't want to do these types of jobs, and that's why we we have a program where we uh, uh, and where we bring in foreign uh, workers, temporary workers, to come and do this hard difficult, uh, heavy lifting work that, you know, modern Quebecers don't want to do. There won't be able to, m- many of them won't be able to come. Uh, we're going to have a serious shortage of um, of agricultural employees, and we're going to have a an overabundance of Canadians uh, that are on uh, employment insurance. So things are going to have to balance themselves out. It's going to have to even even themselves out. And so people are going to have to go out in the fields to pick the those fruits and those vegetables to supply the local supply chain right and so those are incredible challenges and I think that you know a lot of people are going to take it to heart and they're going to go and do it you know Uh, they're going to make it uh, they're going to make the best out of it at the same time so that's the type of things that I'm thinking of but of course maybe the days of having fresh oranges in the middle of February uh, they may not be long gone but that's certainly something that may be less of an occurrence or whose price is going to be far more expensive moving forward. Far more expensive because, one, there may be less disposable income uh, to buy uh, something that uh, 50 years ago was considered a luxury. Um, at the same time, there may be less supply, right? There less trucks traveling from Florida to here uh, with that sort of, uh, of of commodity luxury goods. Um, you know, the e- e-commerce is going to be a, going to be taking a, an incredibly large space. Uh, I think in our lives, especially in the context that where we may not be able to get ourselves to a shopping center or to a retail store where we can actually touch and pick things that we want and try things on. Uh, quite fortunately, e-commerce is still allowed across uh, the, the province and in Ontario as well. And that includes from the shopping online to the uh, warehousing to the handling to the shipping. So you can go on any uh, local store. You can go buy from Simon's, whatever it is that you want. Um, a lot of uh, small stores are complaining now that large uh, chains of stores, such as Walmart, for example, only to name them, but there are others as well, um, are taking this opportunity to sell goods that are not essential to shoppers because the shoppers are already in the store, and it's causing a prejudice to smaller grocers and smaller stores. And so these are all very very complicated economical questions that governments are going to have to ask themselves. And again, many. Of these stores, many of many businesses, many stores, many retail operations, many manufacturers are not going to make it, and we're going to have to recenter our economy towards things that are much, that are much more um, uh, local centric or regional centric, and there's going to be a strong political will to be less dependent on imports and be more dependent on local supply.
0: How do you think that's going to? Uh, what kind of impact do you think that's going to have on, uh, you know, the international trade agreements that exist, whether, you know, directly with Canada or even Quebec. You know, Quebec has its own trade agreements with, uh, you know, states in the U.S. or internationally across Europe. Uh, you know, how, what kind of impact can we expect on that front? You know, we we're only as good as our word, right? Uh, I know
1: uh, as our of our signature uh, in in this case, and so very serious renegotiations are going to have to happen um and, you know in the north american model where we have such an integrated economy and supply chain with both the united states and mexico i'm of the school thought that probably th- those agreements are going to be saved because uh compared to china mexico is almost local to us right yeah um, that being said um, um i think again you know there's going to be there's not going to be a revolution there's not going to be an economical revolution but People are going to look at things in a very, very different lens. And I think that the uh, consumers are going to have an appetite for very, very different things. Yeah. Uh, after all of this, uh, who can tell me that, you know, the average consumer is going to say, yes, let's continue buying inexpensive things from China. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like we already saw, uh, you know, just, you know, when was it? I think earlier this week or late last week, the, the whole issue with 3M where we, we, we requested to have uh, some uh, surgical masks come in and they were blocked by uh, the US government. And automatically that created an issue, right? Uh, A very serious issue that could have escalated. It was settled, obviously, but at, at the same time that, uh, you know, it raised the flag in, my, in, in the back of my mind. I was like, well, what's going on here? Well,
1: protectionism. Of course, the Americans wanted to protect their interests first before protecting anyone else's interests. The reality, though, is that, you know, while we are not Americans, you know, we are America's greatest ally and greatest friend and we share the longest undefended border in the world. And so that should give us a very special status and that should have never happened, but it happened. And, you know, as, as two old friends, uh, we found a a peaceful, we we found a peaceful negotiation out of this crisis. Um, but it could happen again. And so, and quite understandably, premiers Ford, Lego uh, are the first ones to say, you know, we will develop our own capacities to be able to build and manufacture our own equipment. And we will, in, in Rob Ford's words, I'm paraphrasing, we will never be dependent on anyone else for this to happen again. And, and that's a great that, and that's a great manufacturing and economic development opportunity for tariff for Quebec, where we can transform some of our factories that are fact manufacturing something into producing something that we currently need um, at all cost, right? Um, Masks for our protection and breathing equipment uh, in the event that the crisis does uh, take a, a turn for the worse uh, in the coming weeks. Um, but it's all about it. we were we were talking about you know individuals uh, how individual governments need to adapt to the reality. I'm adapting to being confined here in Quebec City. So are you. Some are living in better than others. If you're at home with your family, your wife, your, ch- your children, it's probably already part of your normal. If you're uh, mostly single, um, you uh, work in PR, you're out and about, you're traveling a lot. That yeah, it changes your your it it changes the the rhythm. Uh, of your life, and that is a change that sometimes is hard to adapt to, like any other change. But the economy is also going to have to adapt, and companies are going to have to adapt. if more businesses are going to be working, having their employees work from home, then there's going to be, uh, you know, uh, the sales of different types of equipment to be able to facilitate that to be happening. Right now, we know that governments and companies are sending laptops to all of their employees to be able to work from home if they didn't have a ready one with them. And so that's an adaptation that the economy needs to, needs to do. The, the supply chain needs to be able to supply those. And there'll be other things. We'll, we'll have a different sense of, you know, our home is where we live. There's going to be a, some sort of a transformation to that as well. A lot of people have a home office, but they don't really use it. They're, they're using it a lot right now. They're maybe realizing that it's essential to them. Others are determining that, you know, they're happy to share their space between, uh, uh, you know, living conditions and then working conditions. Um, I think it's forcing us also to be a little bit more active, to go out and take walks, uh, maybe do gym, or stretching at home as well, because we're not walking to the office we're not walking to lunch Uh, we're far more sedentary now than 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 we are when we normally get to the office so these are all things that we are going to be adapting to in the economy and markets are going to adapt to that by supplying services um equipment goods um you know commercial commercial operations will thrive and and find opportunities out of this
0: are you briefing any of your clients now i mean uh, you know Except for, you know, everything going on now that you have to keep them uh, informed uh, and, you know, help them navigate through all this chaos that's going on right now. Are you briefing them or are you sitting down already trying to prepare for what's next? Like after the this crisis? Yeah.
1: And so the, the, the,
0: we are helping, our we're, we're advising and counseling
1: our clients to keep their heads above the water, which is a survival reflex, which is something that we all have as humans, which is sometimes very, very hard. And sometimes, especially if you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, at the same time, uh, we tell them that, you know, this crisis is temporary, that, you know, while this may sting uh, uh, or may burn significantly right now, the economy will pick up again, and they'll be able to go back to some sort of semblance of normality. But at the same time, when will that be? And I, I don't have a crystal ball that allows, that would allow me to be able to Come up with a specific date. We know that the Grand Prix in Canada just uh, announced that they were postponing their date, and we all knew that Every, everything early... is being pushed back. Just yeah, everything is being pushed back. back. So I mean, so the fall, it, 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 the fall, if we if we are allowed to go back outside, the fall is going to be the new summer. And so we are, uh, while we're keeping our, our our eyes on the on the day to day, we have to also keep uh, our minds open to the possibilities of the future. But the future right now is so uncertain. We know that it'll. It, it, we know that we'll go back to a certain uh, normality, but when exactly? And how long will companies who are, uh, you know, are making far less revenues right now than they are used to, or people who are making less revenues than they are used to, how long will they be able to hold? Will they be able to hold uh, until then? What about the mental health? or the the mental uh, the the state of mind uh, in what type of shape are Canadians going to be by the end of this crisis? Are they keeping themselves fit physically but mentally as well? Are they you know interacting? Social uh, physical distanciation does not mean social isolation. Are they connecting? Are they talking? Uh, watching too much news all day long is certainly detrimental sure. to anyone's mental uh, state of mind. Uh, I I I read and follow the news because I need to do it out out of what my work the rest of the time you know if I if I've seen you know what's going on at noon I don't need to watch the news until uh, 6 p.m or maybe 10 p.m other than the premier's uh, press conference that I religiously watch at at, at 1 pm but again um, there's all sorts of questions that I, I wish I had the answers to Um Uh, And it's more and more difficult to be able to uh, give correct and precise advice when we're navigating such uncertain waters and we're not doing it uh, in broad daylight, you know, we're navigating these uncertain waters
0: in the middle of the night at times are you at all worried about all these extraordinary measures that are being implemented? And you, you know, you have government and specifically here in Canada, I mean, uh, you know, I'm not really following what's going on abroad or very little at least where, you know, they're just coming in They're, they're, they're demanding this leeway that is, has never been seen before, right. To adopt urgent measures. And, you know, it's understandable because of the, the gravity of the situation, but you know, from my perspective, it's also very alarming how governments can just come in and because of a given situation, just say, look, we need to just enforce these measures immediately. You have police now that are they can just walk up to a crowd and just say, look, you're too close to each other, A $1,000 fine. Or, you know, uh, crash a, a party in a house or whatever. And I, I, I don't think it's unnecessary. I think it should be done now in order to protect the, the, the safety of everyone. But at some point... Is you know, there's this fear that they have this now, will they be able to relinquish it, right? Um, that is an incredibly uh, good question.
1: Um, we you know i'm I'm confident uh, in our police forces and in our governments uh, that our democratic um, system is so thoroughly ingrained in their DNA, and in the, the DNA of the system, that we're not, not going to see situations where, uh, you know, a dictatorship or a military dictatorship or an authoritarian government would would refuse to yeah, uh, would refuse to give back emergency special powers that you know a, a law would would uh, wouldn't, uh, entrust them with. At the same time, um, these are extraordinary times that require extraordinary measures. Again, um, if, you know, the the National Director of Public Health says that anyone that you cross in the street and that you shake hands with uh, and kiss and hug could be carrying a deadly virus that has a chance of killing you, and for some it's the chances are higher and others the chances are lower, would you really sincerely and Uh, in all uh good thinking want to take those chances the answer is no and and the longer more importantly the longer we're stuck with facing this this silent and invisible killer that's out there um the the longer we're not going back to a normal sense of normality normal sense of life and right now for example we're talking a lot about china how china is recovering uh I unfortunately don't always believe that the Chinese numbers are credible or trustable. Yeah. And at the same time, though, imagine that they are. Imagine that these numbers are uh, authentic. China is also a very authoritarian government and regime, a single party. And when they tell you go home, they're not asking you; they are telling you. Telling you. And so they have. They may have this more in their cultural set of circumstances, by virtue of the, by virtue of their communist regime. Uh, But this is not the type of society in which we live. And so I don't ever see this happening on the long term. But at the same time, I'm also thinking that I've heard and I've seen the pictures from people at Pat La Fontaine hanging out, picnics, uh, business as usual. Go home, what the hell are you doing? Exactly. What the hell are you doing? I've been isolating for almost four weeks now. I've seen none of my friends. I've, you know, I've sporadically gone to a grocery store and to an SAQ to buy the, you know, the bare essentials. I, <laughs> I mean,
0: <laughs> bare essential, just a couple of
1: cases. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I, I'm uh, adhering to the public health instructions and. Not because I want to, it's because I feel that I have an obligation to the most vulnerable people in my society, the elderly, the the, the sick, uh, whomever is at risk of dying from this, if I can do it, and the Lord knows that I like to go out and be social and see my friends and have drinks and have dinners, if I can do it, why is, why, why are so few of us doing it? But. We also know that Quebec out of all the North American states we are the state that adheres the yeah. most these these rules and so you know uh, you know so if it takes the police to go and tell them that you know they should go home then send the police give
0: them a thousand dollar fine and then send them home but it's not only the police Carlos you know what else scared me when that Google uh, when Google came out and had all these statistics on where we are, what time, uh, how long we were there, like all the like, dude, y- stop following me! All this information you, like, know, you don't want to be followed, don't, don't have a, don't don't have a smartphone then. Don't yeah, have a smartphone. turn off your turn off your smartphone. You know, like the probably the most essential thing that you're carrying on you on a daily basis. Yeah, but these things are scary at any time. You know that people have all this information on you. Like for me, that was you know it was it was strange to even though you kind of knew that this is obviously normal you know this i mean it's not a surprise all this information goes through your cell phone they know you know what you're buying they know all your your habits like everything is documented you kind of know that but now it comes out to the surface right you have the government throwing it in your face well we know that uh, a large portion of our population is respecting our directives because we know based on the charts that google gave us that's you know uh you know george if there's uh, if
1: there's any positive out of this crisis is that you know we will now know more than ever or better than ever that we take a lot of things for granted. We we take our privacy for granted, you know. We take our uh, we don't take our vulnerabilities uh, seriously, whether they be technologically uh, or or health related. Um, These are things that we will know now more than ever. Uh, We're not invincible. You know, sometimes even someone healthy will die from a virus that you've never seen that came from another country, from someone eating a bat, uh, an uncooked bat in a soup or something crazy like that. I'm not exactly sure what the stories are, but this is what I've heard. And so I think it's going to give us a, a, a good serious reality check into you know what is modern life in north america in in western in, in western civilization and give us a you know a, a good opportunity to look at what really really matters what matters to you george i think that what matters to me what matters to you is you know we want to be happy we want to be uh, safe we want to have a roof over our heads we want to have food on our table we want to be loved we want to be with the people that we love as well we want them also All these wishes, uh, we wish them upon them as well. And this cannot only apply to us, you know, North Americans. uh, This also has applied to everyone uh, on the planet, in every country, in every uh, nation around the globe. But there's a cost to that, and the system is not developed as such. And these are questions that philosophers such as Hubert Reeves and a bunch of others should be thinking about and are probably writing about it already, or I've written about it. But, you know, the fast-paced uh, rhythm of our modern lives in the 21st century, you know, boil it down to that, you know, um, we use our cell phones, we want the next model, uh, we're a society based on consumption, uh, we, and we value consumption, uh, we value money, we value jobs and titles, uh, and sometimes, you know, maybe we need to ask ourselves the hard questions what should we we really be valuing uh, as a society, you know, the, what is it that we want a 22nd century society to be valuing? And those, I think, are some of the questions that, that maybe people that are at home uh, that have some time on their hand, maybe it's a good investment of a 15, 20 minutes to think about those things.
0: Yeah. Dude, I don't want to hold you up too uh, too late. Uh, I know it's late already. Thanks. Um, thanks for doing this, man. And uh, I honestly can't wait for this to be over, man. You're probably one of the first guys I'll call to go for a drink. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, make mine at double. Yeah, exactly. uh,
1: <laughs> i will gladly accept and i'm also looking forward for this crisis to be over and i'm hoping that we're gonna get out of this with as little casualties uh, as possible
0: but uh, again stay home wash your hands it's as simple as that yeah dude thanks a lot man have a good night and uh, hopefully i'll see you soon thank you thanks buddy